The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Good Sunday. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Bruce and Peg. Between the new tax proposals, questions about crypto, and so many other things, our listeners have a lot of questions. Bruce and Peg have the answers. Today, you can text and call us on the studio line, 651-989-9226, and we will have questions for the entire show. All week, you can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6ADVICE or email them at yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Bruce and Peg. Good morning. Hi, Rashini. Hi, Peg. Rashini, that's a lot. We're going to know all the answers, but we will uh, we'll certainly do our best. Well, you always have so much information, so I just kind of feel like you have all the answers, Bruce. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, let's just say I got let's just say I got a little bit more rest last night thinking because when you're, you know, getting uh, you're kind of on the line here with people calling in and an open line show is, hey, you better be alert and bright <laughs> on Sunday or whatever day, you know, you're listening to the show. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Peg, one thing uh, before listeners and, and again, listeners will let you drive the show. But one thing that we should probably we have a little bit already, but I'm still getting questions and people are still nervous. President Biden addressed a joint session of Congress this week and talked a little bit again about uh, he's really proposing sweeping tax changes. It's, it's obviously a point of emphasis for him and for this administration. And we will dig deep when we actually have a law. It's important that people understand at this point, it's just discussion. It hasn't been. Uh, you know, uh, voted on in either the, the Senate or the Congress, and Democrats have a thin majority in both places, and they have to, uh, you know, if they're going to pass anything, they're going to have to get all all the votes on their side or get some from the other side of the aisle. So we don't even know what anything is going to look like yet. However, having said that, we are working with some of our clients that if some of these things happen, that our clients that are going to be impacted, we are trying to be proactive now but but i think the the key headline here peg and we'll, we'll dig into it a little the key headline is for the vast majority of our listeners people listening to us right now probably 99 percent of you or more what what's being proposed will not impact you it's going to impact <laughs> highly compensated people with incomes of four hundred thousand dollars and more or it may uh, impact high net worth people but most people are not going to be negatively impacted by this law. So just know that. Many of you that are worrying about it, you don't need to worry about it. But 
Peg, what are some of the other particulars that we think we know right now or, or things that have at least been talked about? Yeah, when we talk about who's going to be impacted, I think on the surface, Bruce, yes, you're right. When, it, when we talk about ordinary income taxes, filing your taxes, they tend to be talking more about the uh, high income earners uh, higher than 400000 but there could be kind of a ripple effect in that uh, corporate taxation uh, that was um, it's 21% flat rate now, but uh, proposed going up to 28. And, you know, the word on the street is, does that really trickle down to all of us as consumers? Do we pay more for things because of that? Our roundtable is really busy coming up with comprehensive planning ideas of what we can do um, for clients across the board. We're thinking that uh, this may not go into place this year, so we've got some time to plan. If anything does get passed, we're thinking, we don't know, that it might be January, it might be 2022's um, taxes and tax filing. And then when it comes to estate taxes and step-up in basis, this is a, a, a controversial um, issue, especially the step up in basis. If you pass away under current law, um, if you have some gain in some stock or some a business or um, maybe it's farmland or something like that, uh, there, there is no capital gains due at death. You get the step up in basis. So there's talk about that possibly ending, Bruce. Yeah, and but what I've also heard about that, Peg, is even on the um, elimination of the step-up in basis, or there's also talk of making um, long-term capital gains tax rates be the same as ordinary income tax rates. On both of those, I think it was only for people that made a million dollars a year or more, or a married couple making two million a year or more. So again, while I certainly don't like the, the loss of step-up in basis, I think it's going to, you know, not impact most people, at least not directly. Uh, again, this is all speculation at this part because nothing has passed, nothing is close to passing. Both sides of the aisle are going to have their own ideas on, you know, negotiate to, you know, to make this more to their liking. So, but again, we felt like we had to talk about it because the uh, the president was very vocal this week. A lot of people saw the speech or saw the stories after the speech, and so. The idea of tax increases is very much front and center on a lot of people's minds. Excellent. Well, why don't we get into some of the questions that uh, have come for you both on the text line as well as during the week. People are always welcome to email you. Uh, So some very specific questions. Dale asks this. If you qualify for the unemployment compensation exclusion and you receive Social Security, how does the $10,200 exclusion impact the calculation of taxable Social Security for line 6B of your 2020 form 1040? Wow, there's a lot there, you two. (laughs) Well, Dale, that is very specific and very precise and big. I got to tell you, I wouldn't have even known it's line 6B. So um, I, so the, the question really is, again, this uh, people getting unemployment because of COVID that are not accustomed to getting unemployment, uh, unemployment, how does that unemployment and that exclusion 
impact what's going to happen to Social Security. A lot of different roads you can probably take this. Yeah, Social Security, uh, some people don't even realize quite yet that it is taxed, right? So there's a formula uh, for married filing jointly and single uh, that if you go over 44000 filing jointly, um, up to 85% of your um, Social Security is taxed. So let's just say you get 36000 a year, 3000 a month. 85% of that 36000 would then go in the taxable column when you're figuring out how much tax you owe. Well, the question here is, um, earlier this year, they came out with a 10200 exclusion of tax for unemployment. And Social Security Administration did uh, come out with a uh, confirmation that they will not include that 10200 to raise people's um, income when it applies to Social Security. So that you just don't have to include that um, to, to figure out what percentage you owe, um, what portion of your Social Security is going to get taxed. Okay, let's uh, let's go to the the text line. We received the full first stimulus check and a partial check for the second round. Our income is low enough; we qualify for the third one, but haven't seen or heard anything. What do we need to do? Been to where my uh, where's my check site? No help. Yeah, Peg, this is one we're getting a lot. Right, we're getting this question frequently, and we've talked about it before, but. It probably bears repeating. Yeah, the the difference on this third check is the qualifications are lower. So um, so make sure you check to make sure you qualify. And then secondly, I've heard it's just with taxes, uh, everybody filing. We've got the deadline of May seventeenth. Uh, I don't know how many emails we get a week that there is no way to get a hold of the IRS at all. Uh, what you should know is that this stimulus check that was issued in 2021, you, you get to uh, claim it, if you will, when you do your 2021 taxes. Now, absolutely, if you qualify, you wished you had that money right now, but don't fear in that eventually, you know, when you file your return, you'll be able to claim it as a credit on the 2021 return. Yeah, and that's the thing. So people really don't have to do anything. It's going to, they're probably I think unless you want to take your entire day, which I've heard (laughs) online, you know, with the IRS, and then you finally get someone, and then that's the wrong department, Right. And then they try to transfer you and then it doesn't work out either. (laughs) But they're probably going to be fine. They're going to get that credit. They just don't know it yet. That's right. All right. Some very thoughtful questions coming in for you. Harry asks this. First, Harry says, enjoy listening to your radio show. In January 2020, I retired with a pension. A family member had some health problems. I have been a caretaker. Then COVID came. I had planned to go back to work after retirement, not taking Social Security yet. Have some money setting on the sidelines. I need to generate some income. Any advice, ideas, uh, and any ideas would be helpful. Well, again, wow, a lot of places, uh, a lot of roads we can go down there, too. Peg? 
Yeah, I was thinking that was kind of fast, but let me just think here. The uh, You've got a couple choices. Sorry that you had to uh, leave your um, what I would call maybe your everyday life that you were accustomed to. And, and any time you become a caretaker, it seems like it's all consuming and um, it's a it's a real break from your life. So I, I feel for you, Harry. The, um, the comment that I always make to clients, because at one point he said I was planning on going back to work. And when you think about your options of creating income, and I often get this question when people want to retire. Uh, Peg, does it does it make sense if I got a part-time job or if I brought some income in after I retire? And I say 100% of the time, if you're going to bring more income into the household, you are probably going to be better off. I said, I don't even have to run a financial forecast for that, right? Money is coming in and less money from what your savings and your Social Security and your pension are not, you know, maybe being utilized, and you're able to grow those. So the first thing I thought was, if you are done with the caretaking and you can go um, investigate this back to work, that would probably be the first thing. And then I don't know how old Harry is, so when you talk about turning on Social Security, we could go all sorts of places with that. Um, I don't like someone to, to have a negative effect uh, from not having the additional compounding that um, you get with Social Security and the fact that your check gets higher. So that wouldn't be my first one. The one sometimes people miss is on your current savings. A lot of times uh, those savings pay dividends, and many times people reinvest those dividends. And I often say, well, let's just turn on the dividends. And the client will say, well, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. Let's just turn on the dividends. That'll get me through. Um, and so think about that as an option as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Peg. And frankly, I hadn't even thought of that. But, you know, we have a lot of clients that we will establish a portfolio or more than one. But if they want income or they need income, we'll design a portfolio that's income and growth, not just growth. Um, so it might have bonds or dividend-declaring stocks or, or things that are good for creating income. And so a lot of our clients do that. And, and, you know, again, you're right. People don't even think about it. They look at their portfolio and hopefully getting bigger most of the time. But, yeah, you can use that as a source of income. Uh, the other thing I thought, and you mentioned it, you know, going back to work, I do have a lot of clients that retire and go back to work. Frankly, in my situation, most of the time, it's not because they need the money. It's for the intrinsic reward of the work. They like doing it. Uh, and I got a lot of, you know, white-collar corporate guys that go marshal on a golf course or work at a golf course or go work at a, one of the big box uh, stores like Home Depot or something because they're handy and they like and they just like doing it. But you're, that's such a profound thing that that a part-time job or some sort of income or some of them maybe work in the field they were in, but rather than do it full-time, they do it part-time as a consultant. But yes, any income that you can bring in, net, 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 you're going to be better off. I've heard people say, well, my taxes will be higher, but your taxes are not going to heat up 100% of what you're earning. It's only going to, you know, take a fraction of what you're earning. So if if that's applicable to you and if it's also rewarding, 
and enjoyable, then you know that's doubly good. You're not only making money, but you're probably enhancing your life. All right, let's go to Joe's email to all of you, Peg and Bruce, over at Wealth Enhancement Group. Hello, our mother passed away suddenly in December 2020. She was a widow since May 1988. An acquaintance asked if we filed for some sort of death benefit from Social Security on her behalf to be used toward funeral or other expenses. I'll search for the forum, but was wondering if you had anything to add. Yeah, Roshini and, and Peg, again, Social Security benefits, and we talk about this all the time, are way more complicated and way more confusing than people realize. People think of the retirement benefit, but they don't think of beneficiary benefits. And, and you know, there's a lot of different things here. Um, so this is a really good question, Joe. Yeah, one of the, um, well, the good news is, Bruce, we got this uh, email earlier in the week. And just as a reminder, we get emails from listeners often uh, during the week. And um, we attempt to <clears throat> answer them or we'll, we'll bring them to the show like today. And I thought this was a good one because I actually went to the roundtable and said, wait a minute, is there like this $255 um, death benefit uh, for a survivor? And actually there is. It's, it's to assist in funeral um, or whatever the, the surviving person wants to use it for. But you have to be a widow or widower that was living with the deceased at the time of death. Or if you're living separately, this is from the round table, you're collecting social, so, uh, spousal benefits on Social Security. So that's another um, thing that you have to know. And then um, if you are living separately, but, but you're eligible for survivor benefits on the deceased record. So that's another one where you qualify. Then there's actually an additional, if you're a child, um, if you're a child and you're unmarried and either a minor, 18, or in some cases 19, um, or a child that's disabled. So there's some qualifications, and yes, there is a form that you can fill out to, to claim this $255. Yeah, and that reminds me, you know, again, uh, Social Security, going back to the previous question, you know, about working um, so the other thing about Social Security is people worry about, um, and back to retirement Social Security, I'm sorry to switch gears, but this question made me think of something on the previous question. G- getting that job or not working late in life is going to be very, people worry about the impact of their benefit, but it's going to be very negligible because understand that your retirement benefit from Social Security is based on your top 35 years of work history. So if you have a year that you don't make much money, it's just not going to make the top 35. So it's not going to really do anything. People worry, you know, maybe it's negative if I go get a job and I don't make much money. It's going to dilute my Social Security. No, that's not true. It's not. That's not a big deal. Yeah, and there's and and I don't know if if everyone listening and you have not uh, signed up for Social Security on the website, meaning your own account, they now have on on there uh, a um, graph or a, um, something you can fill in 
where you actually just say, hey, I'm only going to make a thousand bucks here. I'm 58 years old. I don't want to go back to work. You know, how does that affect my uh, Social Security? So their website has been upgraded a thousand percent. So if you haven't been on it, I highly encourage my clients to go on there. I can't go on there for them. And that's why I'm constantly sending them there because they said, oh, well, you can just plug in these few numbers and you're going to know. And Bruce, you're so right. They're amazed how little difference it makes whether they go back to work or don't go back to work um, and retire, you know, uh, a lot of times under 60 years old. You don't have that web address on hand, do you, that we can give to everybody? Um, so, well, it's socialsecurityadministration.gov, I believe. I can just look that up again. I guess I'm so used to just, I have it on my favorites. We can look that up during the break. Really quick sure. text before we go to break, Peg and Bruce. Can one request and receive a roundtable analysis of their portfolio under management with wealth enhancement? Sure. Um, and that's something that, that is typically a first step that may or may not lead to a more uh, enhanced relationship, but uh, a review of a portfolio or a review of current investments. And again, Wealth Enhancement Group uh, is a fiduciary, so we will always tell you what we really think. And sometimes we do that portfolio review and we say, this actually looks really good. We don't think you need to change anything. There's no advantage in moving to Wealth Enhancement Group at this time, at least not from an investment standpoint. Um, or if we think there's room for improvement, we will be very specific and say, we don't like this and here's why and here's how we think you can make that better. But yeah, you can get that kind of review and you're not obligated to anything. Um, and, and that's often a good starting point for a potential relationship. All right. We have a lot of texts here. Phone lines are open too if you'd like to call. Bruce and Peg, 651-989-9226. Peg and Bruce are taking your calls today. We have an open phones show. Get in your calls and texts for this wonderful free advice today. 651-989-9226. We'll be right back. We are back. Rashini Rajkumar with you on Your Money, along with your hosts, Peg and Bruce. And as always, Peg is right on the spot. She did a little research. The website you need for the social Security Administration, very simple, ssa.gov, samsamapple.gov. All right, we have a lot of texts coming in. Peg and Bruce, of course, let me remind you, our phone line also open, 651-989-9226. This listener says, good show. What is the LPL group and how are they paid? <laughs> well, thank you, Rashini. Thank you, Texter, for the question. Um Peg, let's, uh, let's, let's hit that one. And I also wanted to just comment again, our clients are so awesome. A client of mine on the break actually, uh, sent the, the web address also. And, uh, he's got the whole thing in there. The HTTPS colon backslash backslash www.ssa.gov. So thank you clients for, uh, for listening and participating in the show. So Peg, LPL. Yeah, so LPL <clears throat> Financial is the name, and they're actually uh, what I would call a broker-dealer or an investment advisory whereby uh, individuals like ourselves, um, Wealth Enhancement Group or Bruce, if you and I were independent and we were looking for an association with a larger company to, number one, get access 
to the stock exchange. So not many people know that companies need to be associated with a broker dealer to have access to um, the the stock exchange and LPL would be one of those. We have a, a kind of a dual uh, thing going on where we're a registered investment advisory where we don't go through LPL. And I think this question's coming from um, Wealth Enhancement Group where we say, hey, we're registered investment advisory and we also have an association with LPL. And that is when you um, s- solicit or you um, engage a product um, that is is formed, you usually need to, to have a broker dealer that you go through and do the compliance and the um, the things like that. So I I haven't had this question in a long time. So Bruce, I just kind of tried to give the highlights of what I tell clients when they ask me. Yeah, I just want to add a little bit. So again, um, to market any kind of a registered security to sell a stock or sell a mutual fund or any anything like that, you have to be a broker dealer or be affiliated with a broker dealer. We have looked at the the possibility. Um, in fact, I think we've done this several times through the years. Wealth Enhancement Group considered being our own broker dealer, but have just decided that we're you know LPL does such a good job for such a reasonable price. And that was part of the other question: What do they charge? Um, for the most part, that the client doesn't really see the any LPL fees. That's a that that's that's something between Wealth Enhancement Group and LPL or the advisor and the broker dealer. Now the exception of that could be if you're trading stocks on an LPL account, but we've got very few clients uh, doing that. So the the, the LPL is the broker dealer relationship. The RIA and Peg is absolutely right to be, to be dual licensed like that is a little bit unusual in the industry. Most people in our space are either one or the other. We are both. And Peg, the way I draw a d- distinction there is the the relationship with LPL or the marketing of registered securities is one thing, but the RIA could be just giving advice. And as a registered investment advisor with a, a fiduciary responsibility to our clients, sometimes it's just advice that doesn't have anything to do with investments. It's just comprehensive financial planning. Um and I know there's Rashini's uh, telling us there's a lot of text coming in. But, Peg, I know the question that we got right before the break, I answered it because we had very limited time, but I think you wanted to jump in on that one also. It was, it was about do we ever provide second opinion or portfolio overview, a roundtable portfolio overview? Yes, and I just quickly wanted to add, there's four questions that I ask when I get these introduction meetings, just to gauge um, how knowledgeable the person on the other side is about their current situation. And number one is, what risk are you taking? Sounds kind of easy, but there's a lot of people out there that have no idea how risky their portfolio is. Number two is, what is your return? What's your rate of return? Um, you know, on last year, average over the last three years, not a lot of people know. Three is, what do you pay for your current advice with your current advisor? A lot of people don't know. And then fourth one is, do you have access to a roundtable of advice? You know, if when we figure out what that fee is that they're already paying, are they getting a roundtable of experts or advisory for that fee? 
And it's kind of interesting. We're willing to give this um, analysis of how they're sitting, but we also want to educate people on knowing those four answers uh, because we think it's important that whether you engage us or you continue with your current advisor, that you know the answers to those questions. Good stuff. Yeah, I agree. All right. Denny from Bay Lake says this. Love your show. I receive a pension. Will the fact that I receive that reduce my Social Security benefit? Thanks for all the good information you give. Hey, thanks, Denny. Uh, Those are kind words. So, Peg, uh, receiving a pension, does that reduce Denny's Social Security? Uh, it does. It, it, so I talked in the first half of the show about um, Social Security is taxable, and I think what he's asking is, is that to be included uh, in the calculation of how much of my Social Security is taxable? Now, several states um, do not tax pensions, you know, and um, but on the federal level, it's still included in your Social Security uh, taxation. Okay, but I want to I draw a distinction there because you're absolutely right, but I didn't hear the question from Danny the same way you did. So if the question is, if I get a pension or I don't get a pension, my Social Security benefit, the gross dollars paid before deductions for Medicare Part B or deductions for taxes, the gross number paid is the same whether I get a pension or not. And that's what I heard. Maybe that's Oh, got it. No, yeah. but maybe he, you know, I maybe didn't hear it the way he intended it. Maybe you got it right. But let's talk a little bit about taxation because, again, you mentioned in the first half of the show, a lot of people that are too young to be on Social Security maybe don't realize that they're going to pay taxes on their Social Security benefits. So, again, you can go to www.ssa.gov and get an idea what your benefit's going to be when you get there, but that's the gross number. That's going to be diluted down. Most people have their Medicare Part B premium paid from that monthly Social Security payment, and then there's also probably going to be taxes on it. And You had mentioned there's a calculation that we do. It's called provisional income calculation. And so for a married couple filing jointly, if your overall income exceeds $32,000, then you are going to pay taxes on your Social Security benefit. Now, what goes into that provisional income number? It's any logical source of income that you might include, to Peg's point, including a pension if you get one, but also your investment income is added into that for the most part, uh, Roth IRA being the exception. Um, and, and so even, even income from tax-free municipal bonds, I've had people say, well, this is tax-free. What do you mean it's going to increase my Social Security taxes? It is tax-free, but it is considered provisional income. And they even take 50% of your Social Security benefit and add it back in to calculate that provisional income number. So a married couple filing jointly going over $32,000, and it's virtually impossible not to, is going to pay tax on your Social Security benefit. And then if that provisional income is over $44,000, the percentage that you pay goes up even higher. So people that don't know that are often shocked when they get to retirement and find out what the net number actually is because they go into retirement or at least several years before they get there thinking, you know, looking at the gross number and the net number that they get is going to be a lot less. 
All right, let's go back to the text lines again. Reminding people, you can call and text Peg and Bruce, 651-989-9226. This listener says, hi, love the show. If I give appreciated stock to the daughter, would I have to pay tax on the gain, or will she when she sells it? What is the best way to pass on appreciated investments to the next generation? Rashini, this is a really good question. Peg, um, we talked again in the beginning of the show about step up in basis and dying, but what about living? What about uh, uh, maximizing the tax efficiency uh, of assets for things, you know, like uh, education or gifting and so forth? Yes, we see this all the time where a client has a stock that they bought, let's say for a dollar, and now it's worth $10 a share. So there's built up capital gains of $9 a share. If indeed you want a gift to your children early, we a lot of times will recommend to take shares of that stock and transfer it to a child. And that is um, deemed a gift. Each one of us can give 15000 to as many people as we want um, per year and not have to file a gift tax um, return. And even if you have to file a gift tax return, you don't necessarily have to pay immediate tax if you're over 15000 You just have to let the IRS know that you're using part of your um, lifetime benefit. Right now it's 11700000 but each state has their own number for a state, E-S-T-A-T-E, tax as well. So I love that, um, that you brought that up because it is a great idea. And a lot of times the children or whoever you're transferring it to, it doesn't have to be a child. It could be a neighbor. It could be um, an aunt, an uncle. It could be anybody. But they may be in a lower tax bracket than you are. And so having that future growth, you know, in their portfolio, or they can sell it, Bruce, whenever they want to sell it. And then the beneficiary, the person who took the stock, will then pay the capital gains. I just want to comment really quickly, not even on that specific question, Peg, because you answered it so well, I don't have anything to add. But oftentimes on the show, and maybe not even still as often as we should, we talk about comprehensive financial planning. I think a lot of people, when they look at their financial life or consider hiring a financial professional, they're, they're focused on investments. And we always say, well, that's important to have efficient investments. But, but the comprehensive planning around the investments is what's really going to make a difference in your life and really add value if you have a good advisor. And what I like about whenever we do an open line show, with the exception, I think there was one question about a portfolio review all these, all the questions we've had have really emphasized comprehensive financial planning, social security and pensions and tax reduction. These are all things that, that I, again, at the risk of sounding self-serving, wealth enhancement is really good at. And these are the things that add value probably more than just investment management. And, and I love when we do shows like this and get these questions. Well, Bruce, and when I talked about those four questions on an introduction meeting, you know, what are you paying and do they have a roundtable of people that can advise you on comprehensive planning? What I find is people out there are still paying just for investment advice. 
and they're not getting the comprehensive planning with it. And our firms, now, yeah, I know we're talking about our firm, very proud of it, but if, you know, we're charging the same but incorporating in the comprehensive planning with it. And so I think that was kind of our secret sauce to our success over these years uh, to just add a ton of value to people's lives, not just what rate of return are you getting. All right. This person says if someone has owned real property for more than 50 years, sells it in 2021, do they need to pay capital gains tax on the sale? So, Peg, you probably uh, have a lot of clients that dabble in real estate, too. I know I do. Um, had a property for a long time, sold it. They got to pay taxes on it. Yeah, so it depends. It depends if you've lived in this property for 50 years. So let's say it's your actual home, and you purchased it for $2,000 50 years ago, which probably is correct. Right. And now it's worth three hundred and seventy five thousand or something. And you still live there. Well, each one of us uh, gets two hundred and fifty thousand tax free. Um, that includes the purchase price of two thousand dollars and any improvements you've made over the last 50 years. If um, it's a joint couple, you each get two fifty for now. So now it's five hundred thousand tax free uh, and then you wouldn't pay any tax. If this, though, is a property that you decided 25 years ago that you're going to make it into a rental and then a rental or where you're creating income off of it, then it becomes an investment. Then it would fall under the capital gains rules, you know, versus the home that you actually live in. And, and again, that's a great answer. I hadn't even thought about uh, incorporating uh, the house that they live in. I'm glad you added that. So if it's an investment property, you only pay on the gain. But remember, um, the, the, your basis is not just the price you paid. Peg mentioned this, but I want to emphasize it. Your basis also includes any improvements or money you put into upgrading the property. If you can, if you can validate that number, if the IRS audits you, then you pay the taxes on the difference between all that basis or all that money you put into it and what you earned. But back to what if it's my residence or what if I'm homesteaded or living there, the way the law works to get that uh, half a million dollars of, of gain, non-taxable gain in my residence, you just have to have lived there two of the previous five years. So Peg, I've had clients before, and I bet you have also, that sell their primary residence, but they have a vacation home or a lake home. They move there and they live there for two years to establish that two out of five, and then they can sell that again also with no capital gains taxes. So a lot of people don't know this, and a lot of people think that to avoid taxes, they have to take the proceeds and put it into another piece of property. That's not true. You can do anything with that money. You can put it in the bank. You can invest it. You can spend it. It doesn't matter. You can get up to, you get up to like Peg said, uh, a half a million dollars in gain or 250 per person. You wouldn't pay uh, taxes unless the gain was bigger than that. All right. Um, this person is asking, where do we put the Secure Act stimulus checks on the 2029 tax forms as not taxable? Do we report them? Uh, Pegs, stimulus checks, I can't remember. We've talked about this before. 
Well, I, I think the question is, where on the tax form do we apply for our credit? And if you didn't get the check, and I, I don't personally fill out tax reforms. I have not. I, I've seen uh, clients' tax returns come in now from 2020 because they're providing them to us to see if the strategies uh, were implemented correctly on the tax return that we had had completed last year, but I haven't paid attention to what specific line. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I, um, but the, the other thing I just want to add really, really quickly and I, to this question, and I'm glad we got the question, even though I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Reviewing, and Peg, you talk about this a lot, and as an advisor, you're as good as anybody in the country. You guys, again, even if we don't prepare clients' taxes, you review returns and you provide tax reduction strategies. And I always tell clients, um, your tax preparer reports the score of the game to the IRS. Our job is to try to give that tax preparer a better score to report. And you do that exceptionally well. Well, I think it's so important, and I mentioned this probably a month ago on this show, 2020 was a goofed up year. Really just, okay, you don't have to take your required minimum distribution. Oh, but I already took it. Oh, now I get to put it back. Um, all the custodians are still uh, listing 100% of what you took out without any consideration of if you put it back or if you did the qualified charitable deductions. It's all on you, taxpayer. You have to communicate with your CPA or your accountant and let them know what happened, they are not going to know. And I apologize, the custodians could not change all their computer systems in short order. So they're leaving it up to the, the taxpayer. So we are, I bet one in three, Bruce, that I look at it, um, we actually find an error. And it's just because we have our arms around these clients and we know what they did. And I don't blame the client because they do rely on us to coach them, give them the strategies. But then if we're not preparing their tax return, it has to get communicated to those tax preparers. All right, let's try to get through a couple quick texts before I have to say goodbye. Hello, Peg and Bruce. We are longtime listeners. Thank you. We are retired 68, 67, no outside debt, just living on Social Security. We receive approximately 33000 per year. Since I am retired, a retired carpenter, I occasionally get requests to do work. I received a call from a friend out of state asking to help with a project. If I choose to help, I may make 8000 or so for the work. Will this impact my Social Security? Uh, great question, Peg. Yeah, that's easy. Yes, it will. So, that, <laughs> so um, the other thing you can do, though, it sounds like you might be self-employed and, um, you know, you'll have some deductions, probably some travel fees, some um, maybe need for tools or something like that for the job. So make sure you talk to your tax accountant to see what of that 8000 might be able to be deducted before you claim your income. Again, right. you shouldn't take the gig. The gig still might make sense. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like good money. All right, that's it for a great open line show today on Your Money. Peg and Bruce and I will be back next Sunday. Be sure to go to, if you want to connect with them during the week, you can email them, yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com.
The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc.